Salofalava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up, the Melanesian spearhead group foreign ministers gather in Vanuatu. Also, parts of PNG could be getting their power from Indonesia. And later... It's really important that we respect boundaries. Should overseas-based Samoans be allowed to vote? The Melanesian spearheaded group foreign ministers met on Monday in Port Vila with a packed agenda, including the application of the Free West Papua Movement to become a full member of the sub-regional body. The ministers also considered two draft declarations to be finalised for the 22nd Leaders' Summit on Wednesday. The Prime Ministers of Fiji, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea and the Presidents of the FLNKS of New Caledonia are all confirmed to attend the meeting. Calvin Anthony is in Portsvilla and filed this report. Just days after surviving a fought, no-confidence vote, the Vanuatu government is chairing its first Melanesian Spearhead Group Leaders' Summit in Port Vila since 2008. The MSG leaders' last full in-person meeting was in 2018 in Port Mosby. Since then, the region has faced multiple challenges, including issues arising from the COVID pandemic, the Ukraine war, climate change and increasing geopolitical interest from global superpowers in the Pacific. But the MSG is hoping this week they can dialogue and work collectively to advance Melanesia's interests. Vanuatu's Foreign Affairs Minister Matai Seramaya says it's all part of the sub-regional group's efforts to become relevant and influential. I am confident that together through dialogue or talk of Storian or Talanoa would help us to reach common understanding on issues as well as spearhead initiatives or programs complementing our national and regional initiatives. Mr. Saramaya says the foreign minister's meeting on Monday expected to consider two draft declarations to be considered by MSG leaders in the main summit on Wednesday. First, taking robust action on addressing climate change and urging polluters to discharge the treated nuclear wastewater in the Pacific Ocean. And second, focusing on security. The proposed declaration on MSG region of peace and neutrality aimed at advancing the implementation of the MSG security initiatives to address national security needs in the MSG region through the Pacific Way, Talanoa, or Top Storian, and bounded by shared values and adherence to Melanesian Vuvale cultures and tradition. This year's agenda also includes the issue of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua's application to become a full member of the sub-regional body. The Free West Papua Movement is present at the meeting, as well as a big delegation from Indonesia, represented by its Vice Minister for Foreign Affairs. However, neither Mr. Saramaya nor the MSG Secretariat Director General Leonard Loma made mention of West Papua in their opening statements. Instead, Leonard Loma addressed the issue of geopolitics. Mr. Loma says the region continues to be the center of intense political competition by big powers. The geopolitical posturing imperils us. It does not protect us. However, there are some who would like us to believe that taking sides in that geopolitical posturing game is in our best interest. Mr. Loma also noted the MSG members' interest in progressing work to finalize the Melanesian Free Trade Agreement. 
He believes the sub-regional free trade agreement needs the backing of all its members, which is currently only signed by Fiji and the Solomon Islands. We need to rejuvenate this enthusiasm and appetite for industry cooperation that once was the hallmark of MSG. Meanwhile, West Papua observers and advocates at the meeting say the MSG is like a custom house or nakamal for the Melanesian people. They say Vanuatu has the opportunity to make this more than a normal MSG if it can be the country that gets the MSG Leaders Summit to agree to make the Free West Papua Movement a full member. Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Marape has revealed progress on a scheme for Indonesia to provide electricity and roading across the border. This comes after Mr Marape met with the Indonesian President Joko Widodo last month in Port Moresby. The Prime Minister indicated the scheme could bring power to Vanimo, Wewak, Kiunga and Daru, the four main towns close to the border. Vanimo in particular has been having power issues for many years, and suppliers in neighbouring Indonesia have several times been lined up to resolve the problem. Don Wiseman asked our PNG correspondent Scott Waide how the people of Vanimo would react to getting their power from Jayapura. As a measure to resolve the ongoing power blackouts, because Vanimo uses diesel power and it's a, a big problem for the residents and uh, a huge, huge cost for PNG power itself trying to manage the fuel supply coming from elsewhere into Vanimo. Uh, the, the talk about generating power out of Jayapura and, and supplying Vanimo has been going on, as you rightfully said, over the last 10, 20 years, and it, nothing's really happened out of it. But with this arrangement, uh, with the discussions that are going on, it looks promising. Uh, I guess you'd You'd have to wait and see how things play out over the next 12, 24 months. In terms of telecommunications, people along the border also use Indonesian service providers. They can pick up the network out of, out of Vanimo. So the infrastructure is already there. People are using it. They're, they're already accessing things like uh, solar panels, which are far, far cheaper out of Jayapura. So I, I guess the usage is already there. And it's a matter of just formalising everything and get, getting things working together. Yes, I think the Prime Minister's envisaging something a lot bigger. He's talking about this uh, this power supply arrangement being extended to Weewak and then down the coast to Kiunga and to Daru, right down the, the bottom of Western Province. And coupled with that, improvements to the roading network and the creation of a, a, a large, flourishing economic community around that area. Is that feasible? Well, the Indonesians already have uh, an extensive road network along the border. And then you can see uh, if you travel across a few kilometers across the border from, from border border villages, you, you see that the, the huge, huge difference between what's in existence on the PNG side of the border and just one, two kilometers on the Indonesian side of the border. So that road network already exists with a string of small townships along the border. So in order to develop the PNG side of the border and connect it to Indonesia would not really be a a big task for the Indonesians if if they were to put investment into those areas. Yes, and it would have to be the Indonesians doing it because Papua New Guinea public operations don't have the facilities or the manpower or the capability of being able to do it? No. Well, in its current form, you know, the mobilization's 
mobilization costs for just one road would be really high for Papua New Guinea. And also just the government doesn't have the capacity to do that. And uh, I guess in some instances, in many instances, the political will to actually push through and maintain it with some level of consistency over a long term. Hanging over all of this, of course, is the plight of the West Papuans. And the people on the Papua New Guinea side know a lot about these people because they've been looking after them for a couple of generations now. People who have become refugees in Papua New Guinea, escaping from Indonesia. Do you think that would ever be a factor in, if you have these closer uh, economic relations, is this going to be something that would upset the apple cart? Would that bother Papua New Guineans, do you think? I guess for Papua New Guinea side, on the Papua New Guinean side, the PNG side, major concern would be managing security on the PNG side, and that's always been a concern. The capacity to manage the influx of people, if you know roads open up, uh, a lot of people are able to access the border and and various border towns if those townships were to be developed and road access improved. So at the moment, the PNG Defence Force capacity along the border, especially, you know, in the Western province and in in West Sepik, we've got small amounts of soldiers policing the border, very thick jungle, ill-equipped. And it's a major, major concern for the government trying to contain everything and also appeasing Indonesia's concerns for its own security with rebel elements, West Papuan elements operating sometimes on PNG soil or in in between areas where it's difficult to police. So that would, yes, be an ongoing concern both for PNG and Indonesia. A Pacific law expert agrees Samoan should not be allowed to vote abroad. It follows a commission of inquiry reports finding most people do not support allowing overseas-based Samoans to vote. The main concern is elections could be decided by the diaspora population, which outnumbers the local population. Senior law lecturer at the University of Auckland, Fui Maono Dolan Asafo, who's from Samoa, speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. So I think the recommendation to not allow overseas citizens, Samoans, vote in the elections is a sound one. I agree with it. I think to allow overseas citizens, Samoans, to vote would be problematic for the main reasons that the Commission put forward and that there is a large number of overseas Samoans that would most likely outnumber the number of Samoan citizens living in Samoa. So that's a major concern, having people who don't actually live in the country be able to help determine the day-to-day matters for those that do. What would be the main argument to say that Samoans overseas should be allowed to vote? Yes, so the FAST party in its manifesto leading up to the 2021 election cited remittances as the major reason for why overseas-based Samoans should be able to vote. But I think it's problematic to think of remittances as the key reason because it makes the basis for political participation economic in nature rather than relational and also ignores the fact that remittances actually do allow someone who are based overseas to participate politically and meaningfully at more familial and even village levels. And I think that would be more appropriate rather than being them having have a say in who was elected and the specific political agenda at the national level. 
I see. So you still think that there could potentially be an argument for Samoans overseas to have some involvement in terms of their democracy at home, but not to the point of a general election. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yes. Samoans with their representatives and other contributions are able to participate politically at different levels in Samoan society, at the familial and at the village levels. And I think that would be more appropriate because they would actually be more attuned and be more knowledgeable about those specific relations happening within their family and then within their specific villages. But to have them actually have a say in general elections, which are really important in setting the political and legal agenda for the nation, I think would be a step too far. You are obviously a Samoan who's living overseas, living in Melbourne. You hold the view that Samoans overseas shouldn't vote. Do you think that the other Samoans overseas hold a similar position to you? I think that there is a diversity of opinion. I think, especially in light of the recent crisis, a lot of overseas-based Samoans have very passionate views about domestic matters happening in Samoa. So there's, I'm sure, people who would actually like to have the right to vote in Samoa. But I would say, in my own personal view, that not being allowed to vote in elections doesn't actually undermine their Samoan identity, their indigeneity or their ability to contribute positively to Samoan politics. They are able to do so within their families and within their villages. But to have a political voice through general elections would be a step too far and I think would also be problematic in undermining self-determination for Samoan citizens living in Samoa who should be able to have a say or the only say in terms of how Samoa is run because it affects their day-to-day lives. Do you see this issue of overseas Samoans being able to vote or not being able to vote as being an ongoing issue? I think it will always be a matter of contention because you have a lot of Samoans who live overseas who have close connections and ties and are really invested in what's happening in the day-to-day business in Samoa. But it's really important that we respect boundaries and we realise that we come from a different position, that we speak from a different position, that we don't necessarily have a accurate and reliable view of Samoan life. So it's a matter of humility and also respecting boundaries and empowering the voices of Samoan citizens living in Samoa rather than our own. That's Pacific Ways for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.